Hey, good morning, church. I wanted to say a special welcome to those of our veterans. I know Veterans Day is not officially till Wednesday, but uh, I think it's Wednesday. But uh, we want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for serving our country. And uh, remind you that we do have a luncheon for you if you're a veteran. Uh, to be in the uh, fellowship hall that direction right after the worship service. So I look forward to seeing you there. And um, possibly Pastor Joe may be doing the blessing to start off the eating, brother. By the time I get back there, you know, it's usually about time for the next meal. So uh, Pastor Joe will kick you guys off on that, and then I'll, I'll be back to join you as quickly as I can right after the worship service. So I want to thank you for, for being here. Now, we turn our mind and attention to uh, God's Word, and so once you get your Bible, and guess what? We're going to 1 Timothy. Um, God has an agenda. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world's doing, all right? So we just keep going. Um, I, hopefully, uh, on the devotional on Wednesday, um, I'll, I'll try to give you something about, hey, how to march forward as a follower of Christ and all of that. But uh, <clears throat> today, I just want to continue on with what we're doing. Uh, I was really tempted to jump over to Daniel, you know, and just, you know, give you something. But I decided, hey, let's just uh, keep moving forward with what God has determined that he wants to let us know. And uh, we're, we're going to keep working in that way. Now, you know that uh, in the New Testament, there are a lot of different metaphors that describe the people of God. Uh, sometimes uh, we're called a chosen race, uh, royal priesthood, holy nation, um, a body, a temple, a flock, and uh, that one's not that great. And so a flock, and so um, and there are a few others, and, and so we relate to those different metaphors about the people of God in different ways, depending on circumstances or the scripture that we're reading. And each one of those, uh, they illustrate something that's special and true about the people of God. Perhaps the metaphor that we most identify with is the one that we we are looking at today and that is a family the family of god uh first church i was in as a believer um we had a guy that was our sunday school director and we would meet the adult teachers would meet in the in the auditorium for general assembly i don't know if y'all remember those days we did that at sunday school so you meet together and then you go to classes and uh, brother harold he was the guy and uh, he would always want to lead us in one song, one song only, every single Sunday, the family of God. And, uh, you know, when I got to know Brother Harold later, I found out about his background, upbringing, and all of those things. And the thing that he had really not had a good model of or experience with was that of a biological family. And so when he became, he was a drunkard, and when he became a follower of Jesus... And into the family of God, it meant the world to him. And some of you are, are, are like that in your lives. You grew up in a dysfunctional home. Now, I realize that in America, the idea of dysfunctional is fastly disappearing. Anything it will do. Uh, but we know good and well that there is one kind of family that is most wholesome and healthy for your upbringing. And that would be mom and dad in the home. And, and that's just what the Bible models for us. And so we know that that's best. And we know there's damage done to people when that is not the case. Or if there's mom and dad in the home and they're not following Christ as they ought to follow Christ, then damage is done uh, to the children. And so some of you have been damaged in that way. 
uh, I was brought up in a great home. I think I'm still damaged. And so we all have, you know, all of that about ourselves that, you know, if I would have had a better home. And, and it generally spirals down to it's the dad's fault. And, and we use that, by the way, uh, that guilt in, in dads to, to, like, bolster the numbers in our men's ministry. Uh, when it's time to do a men's ministry, we always say to the guys, look, you know how sorry you are as a husband and a dad, so get to the men's ministry. So that's how we work. And, um, and so we, you know, everybody has their time, their, their thing. Uh, some of you had terrible fathers. Uh, some of you had a bad, sorry mom. Uh, some of you, you are still fighting with brothers and sisters, and even though you're grown and you're supposed to be adults. But, um, you know, we, the family's difficult. But there's this, this thing about a uh, family. If it's, if it's right, it's the greatest blessing on earth. And, and so in the spiritual realm, there is God's family, the family of God. Now, Timothy is pastoring this church. He's, a, he's the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus, First Baptist Ephesus. Well, maybe not that, but just the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> and uh, if it's a good church, it's Baptist anyway. But uh, Timothy is battling, some of you that hurt your feelings, I don't care today. Timothy is battling teachers uh, in this church that are misusing the law of Moses. And so they're trying to revert back to a misuse of it and using it in a way that was never intended and so forgetting the fact that it's picturing things, they're trying to return the people back to the actual practices of the law of Moses. Timothy is battling heretics that need to be removed from the church at Ephesus. He's dealing with the, the worst of worst things. Haughty women in a women's ministry, that's the worst thing a pastors ever deal with. Haughtiness from women in the church... There's disrespect. It got quiet when I said that. I would not say that on Mother's Day. Y'all get a break on that day. All right. There is disrespect of his leadership as a pastor. There's, there, there's no respect for him. Um, <clears throat> I, I remember uh, ministering outside Cincinnati there. The difference between going to the hospital in Kentucky to visit church members and the ones in Ohio to visit church members. I would get carded in Ohio. Do you have an ID proving you're a pastor? I mean, you know, good grief, lady. You know, who wants to come into this god-awful place anyway, you know? You go down to Kentucky, and the nurse will meet you. You must be the pastor. Yes, ma'am, I am. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah, well, yes, I would. I'm not used to this kind of treatment. Now, who are you here to visit? And so let me walk you back there. Dear Lord, stay as long as you want, pastor. Did you find, and the pastor's parking place is at the front of the hospital, not way back in the back, on the back 40 somewhere. <clears throat> Pull up in Ohio and go to the clergy parking spot and there's somebody parked there. I know he ain't clergy. <clears throat> Every time. <clears throat> Last time I was there, somebody was not clergy parked in the second clergy parking spot and the wind caught their door and damaged my car. It's hard not to get in the flesh on those occasions. So disrespect for the leadership of the pastor. Some of y'all think all I've ever done or can do is preach. Well, okay. Unqualified people aspiring to the offices of the church. All of this is spiritual warfare in the truest sense. It's seeking to ruin the health of the congregation. And you know when a family and the family relationships, when they become unhealthy, it is miserable. You know that. Some of you are already thinking, oh God, 
please give me COVID so I don't have to see my family in, on Christmas, you know. Now, some of you, you know, when you got those big family get-togethers, when people that you don't know and stuff, yeah, those. And so you're thinking about that, and you're like, oh, dear Lord. So, you're, uh, you know, those things are tough. And so when the family is not healthy, it's difficult. When the spiritual family is not healthy, it's miserable. There is a connectivity to, uh, uh, among us as followers of Christ, especially when we're in covenant together in a local church, that we, I, I don't know what I would call it, but there is this spiritual sense that is just a grieving thing to you if things are not right. You know what I'm talking about. It, you, you don't get this same thing like in a, a civic organization. It just doesn't feel that. But in a church family, it's a, it's a different animal altogether. So it's spiritual warfare as Satan is trying every trick that he can to ruin this church at Ephesus. And it is for this reason that Paul told Timothy in chapter 1, wage the good warfare. This is a battle, Timothy. You better strap it on, son, and go to war against this stuff. Now then, in this fifth chapter, Paul reminds Timothy, that even though you are dealing with hard things, do not let it tempt you to deal with genuine followers of Jesus harshly. Boy, that's hard. You, Timothy, are, are in the state of war. But you must remember that you do not deal with the people of God as an enemy combatant. Fight against the ideology. Sometimes you've got to be harsh with those who would ruin the church. But for those who are making a genuine attempt to follow Christ, those who are genuinely trying their hardest to be a follower of Jesus and to love Him, they are not the enemy. Be sure that you know the difference. Timothy must never forget that in the midst of the warfare he has a purpose and the purpose of the warfare is this protect the family of God isn't that why people go to fight in a in a war it's to protect those that they love and so Timothy is being told here by Paul remember this those people that you're protecting they are problematic I have maybe four church members that are not a problem. The rest of you, you're problems, man. And so everybody has problems. I mean, in all seriousness, I'm teasing you, but in all seriousness, everybody has problems. There are always difficulties. There are things that don't go right. You waver in and out of fellowship with the Lord and, and all those things. And I get the brunt end of that stick whenever you're not right with Jesus. It feels great on my behalf. And so all of those things. And, but you have to remember, Timothy, they're not the enemy. The enemy is sin. And the enemy is Satan. And sometimes he uses people. And sometimes you have to root those peoples out for the sake of everybody else. Sometimes you have to do those hard things. And he gives an example of Hymenaeus and Alexander in the first chapter that Paul had to toss them. Said, you're out of here, people. And so that happens sometimes. But it's for a purpose. And the purpose is so that you may protect the family of God. So here are some family skills that Paul is giving him in this fifth chapter. And so we're going to go through the first eight verses here. And so here's, here are some skills. These are just family skills for the pastor, and but also for deacons, and also for you individually. 
Sometimes you're going to be involved in these things and helping to carry them out. Or sometimes you'll be the one on the receiving end of it. But you must remember this. It's not because your pastor comes to you as an enemy. He's the only friend that you got that probably will look you right in the face and tell you the exact truth. Right? Listen, your enemies, your enemies are the ones that will tell you what you want to hear to your face. But they'll talk about you behind your back. Right, So the person's enemy is not the one telling you the truth. And we want to say it in love for sure. And we want to try to force you to do what you ought to do to follow Jesus. Because that's the blessing of the family. Okay, so, But, but here, here's, some, here's some instruction on this. He says, first of all, here, here's what you need to do in correcting God's family. So the first topic here in verse 1 and 2 is correcting God's family. And he gives some instruction. And so, in, in light of the fact that you're in a warfare, Timothy, remember, you still the people of God. They're the family. And so, here's what he says. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Um, I, I don't know what list the older women are. I have no idea about that particular phrase. We'll go on. And younger women as sisters <clears throat> in all purity. So, correcting God's family. Paul <clears throat> makes it clear that it is true that there's going to have to be some correction in the family of God. Things don't always go or they don't usually go as they ought to do. And, and there are people that stray. And so there is correcting that has to be done. And so, but, but Paul tells him, now, there's a way to, to do it, though. The way that you do it. And so how do you correct Christian men? He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. And the word rebuke there, it's not the same one that's translated rebuke everywhere else in the New Testament. This is the only time that this word appears in the New Testament. It's just translated rebuke, but it's not the same one as the others. And this one, it means to rebuke in a harsh way, even being verbally abusive. And so what Paul's saying to him is this. Use the kindest words that you can to correct. You should be after the goal of correcting someone, not injuring them. That's hard to do because when you get frustrated with people, it's easy, especially people that are straying from the Lord, they say things to you as a pastor that they ought not say. And they say insulting things. They try to hurt you. Because they're not right with the Lord. And it's so easy to come back and say, okay, you want to cut? I got a knife. And so there you go. Thank you, Brother Bob. And so the, the next thing you know, you're, you're saying things to people as a pastor that you just ought not say. And why are you saying it? Out of frustration because you want to hurt them. The point of this is that you may recapture them and get them back on the road of living for the Lord. And he says, treat them as you would your father. How would you talk to your dad about a difficult issue? What if you and your, your father, and, and we have to assume here that you may have to pretend in this situation, you might have to imagine that you have a father that really is for you as the son. 
And we're not talking about, you know, deadbeat fathers. I'm aware and you're just angry with that person. So you may have to put that out of your mind. Or this may not work for you at all because you're so far from me you can't imagine. But let's, let's say you're talking about someone that loves you and you love them. But they do something that just hurts the relationship. How would you approach that? Would you go to your father and say, okay, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back? Would that be your approach? No, that wouldn't be your approach. Um, because this is recorded, I'm going to have to say this this way. Uh, I had the privilege of being my parents' pastor for a, a short period of time. And um, those were some great days. And um, it's awkward, though. It is awkward. I mean, my dad's an old man, and he always has been since he was 30. And, um, and so it's, just, it's hard. It's, it's difficult. And, but, you know, if I, if I would have had a problem with him as a church member, I would not have gone to him in a mean spirit. I would have gone to him and said, Dad, what do you think about this, you know? Um, or I would do what the Africans do. They tell a story about someone, and then in the middle of that story, you suddenly realize they're talking about me. And so, you know, and so usually it's like an elephant and a hyena or something like that. You know, and the next thing you know, you realize, oh, oh my, I'm the hyena. This is terrible. And um, what do you think we should do to the hyena? We should beat it with a stick until it dies. And yes, and that's what we want to do to you now. And, um, and so uh, you, you have to be able to approach people with respect. People that have lived a, a while and have followed Christ for a long while, do not disregard. They are worthy of respect. And if there's a time that they stray from the Lord in some way, then you want to approach them with the utmost honor. Now, um, younger men, what do you do with them? As if they're your brother, it says. You say what you say to them to protect them. Some of you all have brothers, and um, you know how it is. You might fuss and fight with them, but nobody else better, right? And what you would do for your brother is if they had a need, you, you would go. You'd do what you had to do. And so in the same way in the Christian family, that's the way it works. You say what you say to them. You do what you do for them. You say it in love. It's called brotherly love, by the way. And so you would do that for them in order to regain them and to recover them. So here's the, is, here's the issue. We have... We have lost this skill in America in general as citizens. We've lost this skill. The ability to disagree with someone but yet love them. We have completely lost that skill. And that's on every side, by the way. Before you point across the aisle, that's on every side. The inability to treat people with respect and civility even though you may disagree with them greatly. In the Christian life, we must learn to model that for the world. We have to model, something must be different in us. And the way that we deal with one another must be on the basis of family. Out there, when we're dealing with Satan and we're dealing with sin, and sometimes when it gets in here and it becomes threatening to us, yes, we deal with it in a military fashion. Get rid of that. Take care of it. It's going to destroy us but when we're talking about those of us in here it's family and so it should be done in a different fashion how do you correct christian women it says as mothers so the older women those of you that are in the older women category would you please raise your hand no let's don't do that let's don't i don't know the cutoff date on this and i don't care to know 
Um, so I'm just here. Um, older women, but you honor them like you would your mother. Right? You, you, you have times you may have to say. You may be a Christian young woman and there's an older woman that you look up to and you see her beginning to stray. And you see her beginning to walk on the periphery of the Christian life and not in the center of it. And because you love her, you may have to talk to her. How are you going to do that as your mom? How would you talk to your mom about something difficult? With love, gentleness, tears, compassion. And pastors have to do that as well. Sometimes people say, well, you're a male pastor. You don't understand women things. I understand human things. And you're human. And I know the problems that humans have. I don't know the complication of all the emotions of women. I'm not called to know that. No one knows that. It's a mystery. But I do know the difficulties and issues of humanity. And ladies, you have the same ones that men do. They manifest themselves differently, but the core issue is the same. That's why we don't have to have a woman Jesus and a male Jesus. We don't have to have a women's study Bible and a male study Bible. <laughs> How stupid is that? Sorry. For those of you that have that, I'm sorry. I, that was not out of line. Um, younger. Younger ladies, what do you do? Men, be careful. Make sure you protect her reputation and yours. Be careful. It, it, it doesn't matter. Spiritual things are intimate. You have to be careful with that. Um, our staff, we talk about the Joseph rule. Joseph got in trouble and didn't do anything with Potiphar's wife. As a matter of fact, he got in trouble for not doing anything. It doesn't matter. The accusation is the criminality if you're a male. And so you have to avoid those situations. You just have to run from them. Don't get caught in the house alone with Potiphar's wife. That's all I can tell you. And so you just, you just don't do those things. But sometimes as a pastor, you do have to talk to a young woman and say, Listen, you know, what you're doing is just out of line. The wisest thing that you can do is have a woman with you when you talk to a lady. Remember, she's your sister. Some of you guys, you have problems with lust. And that is a sin that can easily creep up in any person's life, male or female. It happens in different ways. How do you break that? One of the things that you have to do in your Christian family is begin to see every woman as your sister. She's your sister to be protected. She's your sister to be cared for. She's your sister to help her battle sin. She's your sister. Act like it. So how do you do this? How do you correct God's family? There are instructions on how you do this. This is different from dealing with heretics. This is different from those who seek to destroy the family of God. These people, they are the family of God. And so you want to treat them accordingly. Now, how about caring for God's family? Paul gives Timothy instruction here on caring. And he says, okay, let's talk about widows now. Honor widows who are truly widows. And we'll talk about what that means later. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, 
and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. So caring for God's family. And so he gives an example here of caring for widows. Now there is a rule regarding the widow's care. In verse 3 it is honor widows who are truly widows. Now what all does that mean? Well, the description of that follows in just a moment, but the person can't be enrolled even in that ministry of care for widows until they're at least 60 years old, the Bible says in verse 9. So one of the qualifications is you've got to be at least 60, okay? But there are other qualifications that we'll look at in, in just a moment, but there is a rule, and the word honor there really means to take care of. It's not just a feeling that you have in your heart about a widow. It's not even that, that just that you say nice things to her. Honor means as the church you care for her. It doesn't mean that you are able to take care of every need that she has. But our, the church should be in a caring stance toward the widows in the church. Now, who are the ones that are truly widows according to this category here, according to being eligible for this kind of ministry? It doesn't mean that, you know, somebody's not a widow if they really are a widow, but there's a, this truly widow thing is a category that the church should target for ministry. And so then you have the, the responsibility of the widow's kin. Before we get to the to qualifications for being in this category, the first order of business is the kin... The relatives have a responsibility, not the church. The church is not the first responsibility. It's the family. The biological family is first in order here. The Bible says in verse 4, if she has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. And the reason for this is pleasing to God. So the first response, the first line of help for any widow is her own family. It's interesting how we sometimes we have people call and there'd be a family member of some widow and they'll bless us out. They don't even know what we're doing or not, but they, oh, you're not doing this for mom, you're not doing that. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is your responsibility, Bubba. We're, we're, we'll help, we'll help you. But this is your responsibility. You're the son, you get busy, you take care of it. I don't know what kind of Christian you are. I don't know what kind you are either, but it's your responsibility. And a lot of people fail to see that. And they get mad at the church because we haven't done all these other things. Well, it's first of all, it's a family responsibility. This is a biological family issue. And so they're the first ones. And so don't hate on the church when you're not doing your part. Right? So that's what the Bible says. This is not Tim Klein talking. I don't have a strategy here. I'm just looking at the Bible. And so this is what the Bible First, let... And so that's the first thing. So the, the responsibility first falls to the kin, the relatives of the widow. And there are requirements before the church is to kick in and say, okay, we're going to put these widows and target them as far as ministry is concerned. And the qualifications are spelled out in verses 5, 6, and 7. She's left all alone. You see that in verse 6? I mean, verse 5, she's left all alone. She doesn't have anybody. She, she doesn't have any relatives that can help her. Now, she has no one. But also what we see is that she's faithful. 
She set her hope on God and the word set there, set her hope. It's, it's the kind of grammar that means she's made a determined decision that has an ongoing consequence. She doesn't waver. Her hope is in God. Let me tell you when people get angry, when they put their hope in people, because they have an expectation of people that people cannot possibly fulfill. Only God can. And so when they put their hope and expectation in people, people always let them down and then they become angry because the people have not guessed what they think they ought to be doing for someone. They haven't thought about it or whatever. And people get all hurt and get all flustered and get all mad because they have put their hope in people. When you put your hope in God, anything that people do is a blessing. Right? Anything that people will do then is a blessing. It's like an extra And so these widows are the kind that have put their hope and faith in God. They're faithful to the Lord. And they continue. And the other thing, they continue in supplication and prayer. They haven't stopped ministering. They're not able to do some things that they used to do physically. But what they can do and must do, and the church depends on them for, is supplications and prayers. And look at this, night and day. Now, that doesn't mean 24 hours a day. It just means all the time. This is their major ministry, and they're fulfilling that ministry. But verse 6 says, the person who is self-indulgent, that is, taking this time in her life just to do what she wants to do. The church is not responsible for making sure that you get to do all that you want to do in life now that you're free of that old man. That's not our responsibility to make your life easy. That's not it. And the ones that are on that track, the Bible says they're dead even while they live. Now, I don't know what all that means, but it sounds to me like you can have someone who all of their life appear to be following Christ, and they get to that place in their life, and they depart from Christ and live life however they want to because they can. Maybe he died and had a big insurance policy, and so now she can do whatever she wants. And she does. And she lives a self-indulgent life and there's no sacrifice in her life. And so then Paul raises the question, she may not be saved. And so you can't, you should not put people in ministry role that are not ministering themselves. If they're not willing to minister and be faithful to the congregation. Now, if you're a widow, faithfulness may not always be attendance because you may not be able to. Now, I had a lady in my church and she, she went... Uh, blind and she was a veteran and uh, she was in the the, the VA um, nursing home down uh, close to, to where we were down in Georgetown Ohio and uh, and by the way she was a Democrat but that woman I'm gonna tell you something man she had memorized the people in our church and and she prayed for those people and she would ask me when I go in pastor what about this what about that how can I pray for you? And Miss Jackie would just pray, oh man, just pour her heart out for me as her pastor. Just She couldn't leave that place. And she just had the sweetest, I mean the sweetest attitude. Her husband had died. Let me tell you what happened to her husband. He was also a veteran. This guy was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big tall guy. And he was in his 80s. And they were still attending church on a regular basis. And we had chairs like these. And one of those chairs wasn't connected, and he was a little unsteady. And he put his weight on that chair, and it flipped, and he fell and broke his hip in our church building. And so he's in the nursing home in a wheelchair. 
He never did get out of that wheelchair. He never did get out of that nursing home. He fell at our church. Let me tell you something about him. He was never bitter, never angry. There was never one time he threatened a lawsuit or anything like that. That just wasn't his way. He was a sweet-spirited guy. He prayed for our church. Those are people that could not get out. They couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't do anything. They ended up in two separate nursing homes. And yet, they prayed. They prayed. Let me tell you how they met. They met at a dance. He was ready, getting ready to go off to war, World War II. He met her that night. He said, wait on me. I'm going to marry you when I get back. He wrote her letters. He was on a, a ship that was bombed. And I don't know, a, a hundred and something of them died on that ship. He survived it. He got off of that boat when he was, got out of the military, walked to her house, rode a chicken truck or something to get down to Kentucky, knocked on her door and said, Jackie, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Will you marry me? And she said, yes. That's how much they knew each other. They had met one previous time. Now, they were only married like 65 years. I don't know how it worked out. Committed to each other, right? Sweet-spirited people. Committed to our church. Committed, and I'm not just talking about organizationally, I mean to the people of our church and to the pastor of our church. And so those are the kind of people that you're looking for. We would have done anything for Miss Jackie. That church would have turned the world upside down for that woman. Why? Because she fit the qualifications that are listed here in the Scripture. Those are the kind of people. Now, at our church here, our deacons have a widow's ministry. And each one is assigned to a widow. And they at least call her. Uh, you know, we, we get together for deacons meeting. And <clears throat> if somebody hasn't called their widow during the month, boy, the other guys are looking at him like, what's up with you? And so there's like a little peer pressure to do what's right. And if there's a need, they go. If his food is needed, they take it. If a gutter needs to be cleaned out, well, one of our deacons does that. I'm not going to tell you which one, Jim. And, um, and so uh, they just do what they have to do. And so that, there's, there's that ministry there. I, and, and as best as we know how, they, they you know, understand, they qualify. And we, so we try to minister to them. We want to make sure that they're not forgotten. So your church is ministering to them through your deacons. Whether you realize it or not, those guys are on it. And their wives, instrumental in that ministry. So I wanted to brag on you as a church. When I'm working through this passage of Scripture, there's a little bit of relief in my heart thinking, we're doing some of this. Now, as a pastor, am I, am I able to get around every week to all the widows? That's a nice country pastor thought. I wish I could. Those are easy visits, by the way. Those are super easy. And so just to go and sit down and talk and drink a glass of iced tea, there's nothing better than that. But, I'm not, but our deacons do. And they, they get there if they, if they have to be. They, some of them, they pick them up for church and bring them. And so there's that ministry that's always going on. And our, our widows are the ones that are being ministered to, but yet at the same time, they're ministering to us with their prayers and with their love. Now, there's a caution here, though, for God's people in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Men, it is primarily your responsibility. Now, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that women cannot work outside the home. It doesn't say that. Okay, that you can't. Okay, it doesn't say that. But it is very clear 
that the support of your family and the provision of it is primarily the man's job. That's your responsibility. Now, if she out-earns you, you married well. Okay? So there's none wrong. But this is your job to provide for the family. There's, there's this, the, the God's Word. There's God's Word in providing for the family. If anyone does not provide, he's denied the faith. Do you know what that means? You are, you are casting a bad light on Christianity when you don't do it. Christianity does not tolerate men as bums. I'm just going to tell you flat out, it doesn't tolerate that. It doesn't, Christianity has, we had a Savior who walked everywhere he went and had the skills of a carpenter. We had apostles who were fishermen, worked with their hands. We had guys that worked with money that were tax collectors. Nothing like having somebody that's from that background and is an apostle. So we, we have all the, we don't have men that, that Jesus called that wouldn't do anything. They're just like, well, they just kind of laying around doing nothing. I thought, well, I might make a Christian out of them. No. Christianity doesn't know that. Some of you sometimes, you come to that place in life where things don't go well, men, and you need some help. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you must not live there. You say, well, uh, Pastor, I have a disability. Okay, that's fine. How, how disabled are you? You know, there are variances of that. Everybody can do something. You may not be able to do all that you used to could do, but everybody can do something. Idleness is, is in no, no place, men, is it tolerated by the Word of God. It's not. So don't be idle. Say, well, Pastor, I'm retired. Retired from what? GM? Okay, that's, fi- that's fine. From Ford? That's fine. From Kenworth? That's fine. But you're not retired from the ministry. Get busy. You, you have time now that somebody else is paying your salary. I'll call you being outsourced. You're an outsourced staff member. Get busy. Right? Somebody else is paying your salary. Praise the Lord. So you, the, the, the Word of God is on the line here. People look at that work ethic, something that has been lost in this country. Men, you've got to model that for the world, but also for your own family. Quit pursuing, entertaining yourself to death all the time. There's this guilt among uh, younger men right now, and it just makes me sick. There's this guilt that if you work 10 hours a day at your job, you must be some kind of negligent father. If you're not there, you know, painting birdhouses with your kid every time they sneeze and working with their toys and all that kind of stuff, and doing all, if you're not doing all those things, that you're some kind of bad father. If you're not making every sporting event, all 27 kinds of different sports they play, you're some kind of bad father. If you don't make it to every kind of play and production they have at school, you're some kind of bad father. You're working 60 hours a week to put bread on the table. You're a good father. There's nothing wrong with being a man, by the way. So you're not a second mother, guys, you millennial people. Man up. Tell your wife, sorry, can't make it, I'm working today. Good grief. You wouldn't believe the pastor the calls I get. I'm like, oh, so he missed the play of your kid at 1 o'clock today. Where do you think he is? He's working. So work for a living, guys. It doesn't mean neglect your family. It doesn't mean that bringing home paycheck is the only thing. But I'll tell you what, it comes in useful. 
Now, what is our, it says our witness. If we don't provide, it's worse than an unbeliever. Unbelievers don't mind piddling around the house and weaving and basket making and doing little crafty things. But you're a Christian man. And so you care for your family. And you provide for them. Now wives, you learn to be appreciative of what he can provide. Not every man has the same salary capability. My wife was telling us the other day we were in seminary and we used to count hot dogs like, okay, how many can we have on Tuesday? Right? Store the other three away in the refrigerator. We might need those, you know. And so, I, you know, I, I, we'd go to Dairy Queen. Man, it was a big treat to get a small ice cream. Could not put, afford to put chocolate on it. Just the ice cream cone. That's it. So, you know, it, it just, it's just... But my family never acted like, wow, we've got it really rough. And I was working as hard as I could. Going to school and working two other jobs, three other jobs. So you, you do what you can. And so some of you, you're not a big wage earner. It doesn't matter. You work hard. That is the testimony to your faith. You work hard and you trust God for the rest of it. Okay? So this is a caution to God's family. There, is a, there are things that, and actions that we must take, that we must model as a family in order to show the world what a family is. And we must model as a church family these family principles in order to show your children what a family is. What are we showing your children? We're showing your children that respect must be given to elders. Respect them. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't times that we shouldn't say, I don't think that's right. But there must be respect given. There is care given, especially to widows. We put a widower on our widow's list one time, and the guy said, why do you guys keep coming by here? Took him off. So widows, okay? So there's care that must be given. That's not the, that's not the task of the government to care for these people. It's the task of the family and the church. It's our task to care for our own. And then what are you teaching your children? Work for a living. Is that such a foreign concept? Work for a living. Work is not a punishment from the Garden of Eden. It's a privilege from the Garden of Eden. Work. We model that in our church. Now, I will tell you this. When I was a kid, there was a member of our church that was just lazy. This guy was. He wouldn't work, feed his family. And they'd always call the church, you know, wanting something. Some of our men went to this guy's house. And said, buddy, we need to talk with you. Step outside for a minute. Stepped outside. And said, don't make us come back. You get to work tomorrow. We'll be checking on you. There was a time when as Christian men, you just didn't tolerate that stuff. Just laziness. And so we live in a country now where we've raised generations of people that won't work. This is something you have to model. The only way to cure that is model it for your own children. Work for the sake of work is a blessing. Whether you earn a lot or not. When I was a kid, 
My dad would say, well, you need to get to work. I'd say, well, nobody will hire me. He said, go do it for free. I went to business one time and sweeping stuff for free. The guy was like, what are you doing here? I said, my dad told me to come. And he said, well, what if I don't want you to do that? I said, it doesn't matter. My dad told me to. I got to. You just have to do it. Do it for free. Why? Because work is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So there are things about the family of God that we have to model for the world. That's what is being told to us here. Yes, we fight sin. We fight Satan. We fight our own sinfulness. We do. It's part of the war. But also we're a family, so don't ever forget that. We are a family. The world out there is not our family. This is our family. And so we want to act accordingly. Now, some of you are not in the family. And getting in this family is not membership first. It's joined to Jesus first. You get joined to Him. Then we talk about membership. We talk about making it visible what you've done with Christ. That's what membership is. It's just making visible what you have done with Jesus. But you've never started following Jesus yet. Or at least you haven't made it public to anybody. And so it's time for you to do that. Today, what are you waiting on? Brother Harold McCain is in heaven right now still saying, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Have you? You see, you need Christ first, and then you get his family. You say, well, y'all are weird. We are. But there's a lot of good. And there's a relationship and a bond in this family that's hard to explain. There's nothing like it in all the world. So if you haven't started following Christ yet, that's the first issue. Get right with our big brother. And then when you get right with him, you can be one of us. So that's, that's the invitation today. I want to ask you if you would, let's bow in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for instruction. Just straightforward, plain instruction. We ask, Father, that you would help us as representing your family here with this particular covenant community that we have. Lord, that we would carry out the actions and the commands and obligations and responsibilities of a family. Father, I pray for those today who are outside your family, the eternal family, because they've continued to reject Jesus, that today, Lord, there would be a turn, a change in their heart. Would you bring that change about? Would you, by the Spirit of God, free them to be able to really see who Jesus is? Would you, by the Spirit of God, then ignite their faith that they would be willing to choose Jesus as Lord and Savior? Father, these things are miraculous, and they're things that we cannot duplicate or create. So we look to you, and we look to the power of the Spirit of God to do in our lives what we can't do for ourselves. So, Lord, would you work in Jesus' name, we ask. Amen.